Hello and welcome to the U Podcast, brought to you by the Grand Rapids Children's Museum, recorded at the museum in downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am your host, Adrian Brown Reasoner, and my guest for this episode is Brianne Carpenter, who is the program manager for the Creative Youth Center. And if you are not familiar with all the amazing things that the Creative Youth Center does, definitely uh, hop online, creativeyouthcenter.org is where you want to go and uh, check out everything that they've got going on. But it's a lot of really great after-school programs and writing workshops and uh, different kind of summer programs, but they've got amazing things going on. And I feel like there's always something happening uh, with with all those kids over there. So thank you so much, Brian, for taking some time to uh, to, well, to get to talk books with me, which is always fun, <laughs> um, but also uh, let us know a little bit about what's going on over uh, over there at the CYC. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Brian, and you have a playful day. But I'm actually going to start with if people aren't very familiar with the Creative Youth Center. You want to give a little totally your your little spiel about what what is the Creative Youth Center? So the Creative Youth Center um, is the only nonprofit in Grand Rapids focused on creative writing programming. Um, I'm the program manager there, which means I teach all the after school creative writing programming for students first grade through eighth grade. Um, and we work on all sorts of stuff. Every student who's in our programming gets published in a book. It's called the Book of Explosions. That's so cool. Every year we uh, <laughs> we choose the title for each edition. It's an excerpt from student writing every year. So it's like this amazing treasure hunt reading through their work every year to be like, which one's the title? Which one's the title? Um, we have a big book launch at Wealthy Theater in the mm-hmm. spring, and the students stand up and they get to read from the book that they're published in. They read on stage, and then they sign author copies afterward. Um, so it's a really so awesome program. It, the goal is to amplify student voices and mm-hmm. to present them with publishing opportunities, both in print, online. We just forayed into radio this year um, into some like cross-genre <laughs> art collaborations to help mm-hmm. them see that... Uh, their stories and what they have to say, not only does it have meaning, it's also something that other people listen to and are interested in hearing. Um, And that that is like a lifelong tool and skill that they'll take with them everywhere else. The people listening aren't going to see my hands, are they? (laughs) No, but that's okay. I can emphasize that you're really excited about it. Because I know we have uh, right now actually some artwork on our one of our little art gallery areas that are... I, I don't know if the right word is illustrations from or depictions of some of the things that the kids have written. And like, those are just, it, it's such a unique way to share some of those stories or even some of them I think are just like little one-liner like or a haiku almost Yeah, <laughs> like, that was for some um, of them, which is really cool. A collaboration we did with a, a design student at Kendall College. Um, okay. She approached us and... Um, she ended up doing a whole poster series. She did the illustrations, That's, okay. but she pulled phrases from student work, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're awesome. Yeah, and did it's illustrations really cool. And made posters. And at one point, well, we're out of them now because it was last year. But she made a calendar, <laughs> so we had we had a calendar uh, with all of those quotes and that's illustrations. So cool. Yeah. Well, see, I know I've seen. Um, zines at the comic book store at Vault of Midnight mm-hmm. as well. So you're, you're out there. Yeah, you're everywhere. A, a collaboration, <laughs> um, a graphic story collaboration with uh, the Vault of Midnight mm-hmm. last spring, which was awesome. 
Um, and the students wrote zines and then the Vault of Midnight carried the zines and they yeah. loved it. Um, and then this fall we did a collaboration with Triumph Music Academy, which oh, yeah. is a music mm-hmm. school on Wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, our middle school students wrote spoken word poetry and their middle school and high school, a group of their middle school and high school music students wrote original music inspired by the students' poetry. And then we performed it That's all together. So cool. And um, I don't have like the <laughs> official release date yet, but we're going to be recording an album that, that we'll amazing. have. Yeah. Oh so just a lot of really cool, um, cool writing projects, yeah. but also projects where kids are getting to meet other artists, adult and student <laughs> in the community sure. and develop relationships and also explore like, okay, so I write and this person plays viola and look like together <laughs> and we look, can do we something can do this even together. cooler than, oh, that's um, so than neat. Like, what we do in our own so yeah. that is so neat that's so Hopefully cool inspiring there the you go generation yeah yeah artists and also like vocal social justice advocates sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah well which is very important yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah. so i'm gonna jump back before you were there Where'd mm-hmm. you, where's hometown? Where'd you grow up? That is always such a tricky question for me <laughs> to answer. Um, All right. So my short answer, I, I say Michigan, but that's actually a lie. <laughs> um, my dad was in the military when I was born. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so we moved all over the place. And then the job that he had after being in the military was also one that was pretty transient. Mm. Um, so I actually moved 12 times before I was 18. Wow. Um, but we moved to Michigan when I was 17. And so I finished high school in Michigan and I mm-hmm. went to college in Michigan. Um, and then after that, I lived in other places. But Michigan has been home base now for sure. enough of my life that my that short answer is usually is, Michigan. Is so here. I don't have to yeah. be like, and then. <laughs> yeah, that's, I always kind of say the, um, I, from Michigan, but grew up in Texas, so it's this oh, weird. Yeah. Like I had a six I've been year in both. Stint in Texas. There you, oh, see, there <laughs> I you say go. Y'all, it confuses people. <laughs> it just makes more sense to say y'all. It does like, it's inclusive? Yeah, it's one syllable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just say it real quick. Get it. All right, I'm gonna promote that we bring y'all to everywhere. I'm with you. <laughs> I like it. And the rest of y'all. There you go. Yeah. No, but I think moving around. I mean, it's. Obviously, it's all a long story, but I think moving around a lot as a kid totally changes your, uh, mm-hmm. your perspective. Oh, sure. Um, especially when you know when you think about writing about location or writing about mm-hmm. home or things that in like inform your experience. Mm-hmm. None of that for me is based in a physical location. It's right? all based in like a feeling that I have when I'm with certain people, mm-hmm. um, and that's interesting. It's different than people who have grown up in one house in one town. Right. And like, um, like this is yeah, home. Like, it's a location. It's, just like it's a different a, way that you right. think about. Oh, sure. Sure. Ability. Yeah. So, do you have a place that sticks out as one of your favorite places to have lived or one that meant a lot to you? Oh my goodness. I, <laughs> so a lot of the moves were, I was born in California um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the moves were in the South. And when I was 12, my family moved to North Carolina um, and it was the first time I'd lived in a place that had seasons. And so, you know, all of our literature is dominated by a, a really like a Western European narrative right. of like Christmas is snowy and fall has colors. True. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's like one of those sneaky privilege things where you don't realize when the dominant narrative, like if you're part of the dominant narrative, mm-hmm. you just think it's normal. And if you're not, it's like, wait a minute, what? Like, what? Like, we wear shorts <laughs> on Christmas. Um, so anyways, uh-huh. we moved to North Carolina. Both of my parents are originally from Michigan. And so I had grown up being told about 
snow about snowy Christmas about, night, like, yeah, trees that turned mm-hmm. red and orange with like a great deal of skepticism that this was actually <laughs> like, something that happened. Those in the don't world. exist. You're <laughs> um, crazy. And so that, that stands out in my mind because we moved there, and I just remember um, we moved to Charlotte, and we would take we would occasionally take weekend drives up into the mountains, um, and I remember just feeling really astounded by how beautiful it was, and I think uh-huh. it was one of the first experiences I had as a younger person where I realized how much I loved being outside and how inspired I felt by Mm -hmm. outside. I mean, because before that we had lived in cities, the city that we lived in before that was Houston. And so not that there weren't beautiful things outside, but but it's a very different kind of playing outside. Oh yeah. Yeah. Banana spiders and red ants, giant Uh storms and biting Uh ants and Uh yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's what, so we were in the Houston area okay. for most of the time that we lived there, and then we lived up by Dallas mm-hmm. for the last couple of years before we moved to Traverse City when I was 16. So, okay. <laughs> so, so a similar kind of path. Yeah, but it was the, like you didn't really play outside during the summer. Down, the summer. Like It was too many bugs that were very painful if they bit you, and it was way too hot. And unless you were going to the pool – you didn't really hang out outside. And so I can, we would come up, my, my mom's family has always been in, um, up in the Traverse city area. And so we would come up every summer for a few weeks and just like live at the lake the whole time we're here. It's like, this, this is weird. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's a whole different world. Cause I'm outdoors and I'm in bare feet and like, this is, <laughs> and the grass isn't and like the grass sharp. Isn't, and, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, there's not a heat index warning. Like we can be out here anytime we want today. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is a very different experience to be playing outside. Yeah. My family also lived, we lived in the Houston area for a while, but we also lived, um, in the panhandle area mm-hmm. for a while. Just to just to say something not disparaging about the <laughs> the landscape in Texas, um, at the time my uncle owned a pecan orchard um, and raised horses and cattle, mm-hmm. and um, my grandparents lived in a little mobile house in the middle of his pecan orchard. Um, and so, and I, my grandfather taught me how to ride horses and we would go horseback so riding cool. out in these, I mean, once you got out of the pecan orchard, it was just like cotton fields flat yep. for ages and ages. And you could see, I mean, I think that that was part of the like shock to moving to Houston is I had gotten so used to a landscape where oh, you could always right. see the horizon line. And, um, and, then, then, Houston, and then there's buildings. Of trees and yeah. buildings. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, we, I remember driving up to, like between Texas and Michigan and driving through specifically Illinois and part of Indiana, just the like miles and miles of cornfields and like, and kind of the same thing. It's like, I, can see forever. <laughs> it just keeps going. There's mm-hmm. nothing that blocks it. And yeah, kind of being amazed by by that. Same reason. You know, there's, I'm used to seeing buildings and now there's no buildings. It's yeah. just corn. <laughs> so what brought you back to Michigan? You said you, after you lived here for a while and then you went away and came back, what brought you back? So my family still lives still here. Still all here. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess when we moved back when I was 17, my family has stayed <laughs> since then, um, my immediate family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband's family, most of them live in Michigan. Um, and we both went to Hope College. So there was like mm. a significant oh, okay. period of my developing Being here. life sure, where I really sure. fell in love with 
like Michigan mm-hmm. and the like the northern Michigan landscape. But really it was a combo. I lived in Europe for a couple of years and lived in DC for a couple of years and um we were just both we wanted to live in a city with things to do. Uh-huh. But we also after having lived in DC the the cost of living and the pace of life sure. was just a little bit too chaotic for both sure, of us. Sure. So it was sort of a, you know, like we'd like to be closer to home. We'd like to be close to outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Grand Rapids, <laughs> we, I mean, we looked at the map and we were like, well, we could move to Grand Rapids or <laughs> Ann Arbor or Detroit. And mm-hmm. There are a lot here. of pretty great yeah. places here. It's true. <laughs> so what did you study when you went to school at Hope? I started off um, pre-med, um, so oh, okay. I actually have, I ended up double majoring in French and English, but I have a minor in biochemistry, um, okay. and I really love, I definitely do not hold with the idea that <laughs> the arts and the sciences are dichotomous in oh. any way at mm-hmm. all, um, mm-hmm. and I've always loved all of those subjects, and that's just fueled by curiosity and, you know, loving to <laughs> sure, learn. Sure, sure. So I ended up majoring in French and English. I started off majoring in chemistry okay. Um, okay. and took, like, all of those courses. Yeah. <laughs> what were you originally thinking you were going to do? I wanted to be a doctor. So you did want to go mm-hmm. pre-med. I wanted to okay. do med school. I wanted to be mm-hmm. a doctor. Um, and I, I guess about halfway through my time at Hope, I realized that I was saving my English homework as my reward. <laughs> I would like finish my it's your treat I for getting through stuff. Chemistry yourself. homework and my my like reward to myself would be my English homework. Um, and of course, I'd also That's like so I wasn't seventeen anymore. I was closer to twenty and was thinking about, um, at least as best you can when mm-hmm. you're that young, trying to think about like what I wanted for my life and what I wanted for the next decade sure. um, and the commitment to med school and then residency and the kind of debt that comes with that. Yeah. Just yeah. In, at that point was something that I felt a little bit terrified mm-hmm. by. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know my sister-in-law uh, went to, or she graduated from Oakland and then went to MSU for law school. And even that, even that like three-year program still seems like I can't imagine being you know, early 20s being done, but then be like, oh, no, I'm not done. I have X number more years, and then I have to get this kind of program, and then I have to, like, ease my way into I'm like, that's that's a dedication before you even get to a career, really, yeah. <laughs> with that. So well, med school had, being the same I mean, thing. By the time I switched, I had, uh, I had had the opportunity to study abroad mm-hmm. twice mm-hmm. Um, and really, really loved traveling. Um, and I think it was, it was less... So I suppose like cautionary tale, the way that our school system (laughs) is set up when you are a type A personality, you Mm -hmm. just perform to the system and you do well and people are like, oh, you know, you're smart. You should do this, this and this. Right. Um, And so I think it was sort of realizing that it's less about capability and ability. Mm-hmm. It's it's not that I couldn't have gone to med school or done something else. Sure, it was more about choosing what did I actually say, what you actually want, want. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an opportunity. Um, I knew that I was possibly going to have an opportunity to move to France mm. after I finished college, and if I chose to go to the med school route, that that wasn't going to be a possibility. Right, and at the time, right. That was just a that was a priority. Yeah, can't yeah. can't give up those opportunities yeah. when they come. Sure. Oh, sure, that makes sense. Is there any place that you would like to live now that you've you've had a chance to live everywhere? Sounds like <laughs> any place that you haven't been to that you want to try out? 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> like just spin the globe and put right? your finger just down. anywhere. Uh, I would definitely. So my husband actually grew up abroad um, and we are both really excited about the chance someday mm-hmm. to live overseas again. I would live anywhere. I, yeah. um, I would really love to live somewhere where I would have the opportunity to learn a new language. Sure. Um, sure. But yeah, oh, I can't even answer that question. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, mm. no, no favorites that no, are jumping out no. at you just anywhere, I mean, I love, anywhere I love to travel. And I think that there's like, there's comfort in going back to places that you have oh, been sure. love. So like, I would feel comfortable living in France again. I lived in Switzerland for a while and it mm. was absolutely beautiful, but it would also be really exciting to go somewhere. <laughs> New and different. Mm-hmm. And, Try something you know, else. Yeah. Sure, learn sure. Learn things about yourself and also be like really challenged to learn things about other people and why they think the way that they think. I think mm-hmm. it's always a really important mm-hmm. exercise in compassion and empathy and like worldview widening. So. Sure, sure. So what would you say led to kind of the switch between the pre-med and then going more of the English and you said English and French? Mm-hmm. Okay, what? Um, Emily Dickinson. Oh, okay. There's a specific <laughs> There's person. There's like an actual Perfect. person. Yay, a female poet. Um, yeah, I was taking physics and uh, American literature one semester. Um, and I love, I still love, I love physics. I actually write a lot of poetry about physics. So I was really enjoying um like the ideas behind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the physics class, but also really like kind of struggling with the material. And then in the American literature class, we were reading Emily Dickinson. Um, And I just had this point where I was like, I love, I love this. I love (laughs) poetry. I had never taken, um, I don't, aside from reading some Mm -hmm. Shakespeare as a high school student, I don't actually have any recollection at all of reading any poetry oh, until I got really? to college. Really? Wow. Um, and, and just, I absolutely loved it. And I was like, you know what? I, I love this so much. And I recognize that it's a less linear choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did this whole art project for that class. Instead of writing papers, <laughs> you could do some sort of other project and then write an explana- explanation of it. Oh, that's so fantastic. So I did a painting and used my lab notebook from the physics class um, and made this collage using physics principles to illustrate <laughs> one of Emily Dickinson's poems. That's amazing. Which, like, in hindsight, is really still pretty uh, representative of how I th- like how, how, I think how you think of all of, of it. Sure. And not which po- like which poem was it? It was... Um, my life had stood a loaded gun in corners till a day, and I can't remember the rest. Now. <laughs> a pretty dramatic, I mean, like, sure, yeah, yeah. Poem, but I was eighteen, so like using using some, physics, <laughs> using physics to to write about existential poetry. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Do you get a chance to? Well, obviously, with the the kids' poems, you know. But do you get a chance to like really just spend time reading much poetry now, or? Oh, yeah. Of your own? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And do you write anything of your own? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I write poetry and nonfiction and fiction, but I'm do primarily a poet. That's what my um, MFA it. is in poetry. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, very cool. Yeah. There's actually a really cool, I wish I could remember. I'm terrible at remembering people's <laughs> names off the top of my head, but there's a really cool essay um, about the overlap between, particularly between co- quantum physics and poetry. Um, the idea that like both are reaching at something 
uh, pretty mysterious and kind of unnameable. And so mm. they make that reach with metaphor and with oh, image. Okay. Okay. Um, it's and it's by I can't remember I can't remember her name, uh, but it's a really cool essay and it's one of those That's that awesome. like, um, I think helps break down the stereotype that we have that you're you know you're like science minded you're either or you're one or the other and sure like, never the twain shall meet but you know some, sure I just I don't I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you get a chance to uh, to read much up on the? physics and biology and chemistry stuff still too is that still a part of your what you do yeah the only <laughs> app like news feed thing that i have on my phone is national geographic because every day they give me something that i'm like yes. whoa whoa uh, i don't i don't read as much chemistry i think you you have to it's hard, if you lose the knowledge for understanding right. um like just remembering the math and the structures mm-hmm. and the way everything works. Yeah, that one's trickier, yeah, that one's to, trickier. to stay involved with. But yeah, yeah I still, I, I, we, I, I weed. <laughs> I read widely uh, books about science mm-hmm. and articles. And I really love um, one of the books that I was going to mention. I love books that have overlap. Have, in them. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. there's a book of poetry by Marianne Baruch called Cadaver Speak. And she had the opportunity. Um, she is a she's a poet um, and a and an essay writer who also really loves science. And she got a grant to spend a semester in the med school cadaver lab at Purdue. Wow. And then wrote uh, half of half of this book is a a, a poem sequence. Uh, from the perspective of the cadaver and of being in the oh, cadaver wow. lab. And so it's like it has, has the absolute precision mm-hmm. of a scientist um, and 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 is poetry. Right. And so books like that where that just amazing. like have those two seamlessly blended mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I'm in I, a deep swoon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like I, I do always find it very interesting that it has to be a you either – think this way or you think this way and it's like but a lot of people do blend it together and like there is an art to science like I was actually watching uh, something on like the Discovery Channel or History Channel about you know like one of those like how the universe works kind of shows and just looking at the pictures that they're using to illustrate the point that they're talking about I'm like this is like I would frame that and put it on a wall it's beautiful like there's no reason that they can't be crossed over more <laughs> like that's that's amazing do you have a favorite author or, or one that has ever been a favorite? Obviously, Emily Dickinson sits out to you. <laughs> so. uh, no, I, no. no, I love to read. I have loved Just to read everything. since I was a child. My, mm-hmm. I mean, because we moved around so much, a lot of times uh, we would move at the end of the school year. So we would get to a new place and have the whole summer and not know anybody. Mm-hmm. And I would... <laughs> I would check out literally as many books as my mom would allow me to check out from the library. And I would sit in my dad, while he was at work, I would sit in my dad's blue, like, velour recliner. And I would make myself a stack of saltine crackers with butter spread on them so they would Uh stick together. Sure. And Mm -hmm. a giant cup of grape Kool-Aid with ice cubes. And literally read books all day long. Um, So, no, I don't have a favorite author. I... uh, yeah, I love. I love to read. I've been mm-hmm. reading um, 
because of working at the Creative Youth Center, I've been trying to read a little bit more widely um, young adult oh, fiction. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been really exciting. I recently read the Golden Compass series for mm-hmm. the first time, mm-hmm. which I had never read. Oh, my gosh. Talk about blending. Speaking of <laughs> like, That's true. <laughs> and, and literature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that book, the, that series is incredible. Um, and I also recently read um, the... Astonishing Life of Octavian Nothing, which is really challenging. Um, I was surprised reading it that it was actually uh, by M.T. Anderson. I was surprised mm-hmm. that it was labeled as young adult. The content is really challenging, and um, so hmm. also is the language. But it's written from the perspective of... Um, I don't want to give any spoilers. <laughs> it takes place during the Revolutionary War and is one of the best critiques of slavery and the way that um the way that the dominant majority's perspective on science and culture oh. ends up owning ends the up narrative Interesting. and create systemic issues uh-huh. that are less visible for a time. Wow. But in a really That's upset, a, that maybe but... made it sound boring. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um yeah. oh my gosh. I, huh. Do you want me to keep talking, a, about, oh, talking about books? Absolutely like, keep talking about books. Have you read books. Bone Clocks? No, I have not read By David Mitchell. Clocks. So he wrote Cloud Atlas, yeah. which became mm-hmm. the movie. Um, and Cloud Atlas is also like a fantastic yes. book. Yeah. Bone Clocks also deals in um, science and physics and uh, some like science fiction-y mm-hmm. kind of things. But it moves through a, a series of, I think it has like five or six narrative voices and it starts in 1986 and then ends in um mm, 2040 something um but it also plays with genre and mm. is like one of the most fascinating books and yeah. fun books that I've read See, I, I do I'm always drawn to books that kind of are they don't really fit a certain genre mm-hmm. like they're kind of they're a little bit of this they're a little bit of that it could be considered like I actually speaking of young adult books I read um the Lunar Chronicles Ooh. which are great I haven't I love the I title think there's I think there's five of them but they're kind of like a modern take on very classic fairy tale like the first one is basically Cinderella but in more of a science fiction sort of way so like Cinderella is also an android and or like it's cinder it's not Cinderella, but it takes place like way in the future and so it kind of is a little bit of that post-apocalyptic you know kind of thing which I feel like a lot of young adult novels have but like I said, it's, it has some of those elements you're like well I can see where this is going and then all of a sudden there's a twist and it's like oh now it's a different thing completely because I didn't realize that she could be this thing and this because she's an android so she can do anything and it's they're fantastic I think there's like five books but each book like towards the end introduces one of the characters that's in the next book and so it just kind of keeps building and building and building and so I'm in the third one right now and it's there are so many people in this book (laughs) but they're they're really great so I recommend those (laughs) but again it's the they they are science fiction. They are a little bit fantasy. They're also a little bit romance novel, but not really. And but they're yeah, they're really cool. cool. So those are always fun things I think for me. Yeah. Now, do kids bring you books that they think you should try out, or is you just kind of pick up what they're talking about? 
You know, that doesn't actually, yeah, that doesn't happen that often. <laughs> um, we have a pretty substantial library at mm-hmm. CYC. Um, though if you're listening to this and you want to give us more books. <laughs> we will take them. Like recent books um, with a diverse cast of protagonists. We're really excited about that. Um, so it, it, So what will happen sometimes is students will see books on the shelves that we have and ask me if I have read oh, okay. them. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have it. I have it happen less frequently that they bring books in. A lot of them are coming straight from school. Actually, all of them are coming straight from right. school. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And so okay, yeah. I th- I always think that that's fun to kind of try to stay in with what they're, but then they'll bring you something and be like, oh no, this is totally different now what I was expecting. <laughs> you want me to talk about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I facilitate a youth group and. They're like 13 to 17 year olds and there's things that they'll like we did as an icebreaker one night. It was kind of a, like if um, if you were to pick a celebrity to portray you in the movie of you, who would it be? And a lot of them were picking like some of them are very classic, like, you know, Tina Fey and, like, you know, I want like Leslie Note from Parks and Rec, not Amy Poehler, but Leslie Note, like those kinds of things. And then some of them had names that I'd never heard of. And it turns out a lot of them were picking like musicians, again, that I'd never heard of. And I was like, I feel so out of touch with this entire group right now because <laughs> I just don't know these things. And But all of them knew exactly. So it wasn't like they were, you yeah. know, picking like really obscure People, I'm like, oh, nope, I'm just that much older. <laughs> I grew up super sheltered. I wasn't really allowed to watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, my music selection was limited and very carefully curated. So I think I gave up on the idea a long time ago that I was ever going to be in the loop of anything <laughs> Knowing ever, what they Which is why it makes me, like, a perfect poet science person. Sure, Because sure. I, like, I can be the person who's like, well, did you hear that interesting thing about whales? But has absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. Like, that game, that seven... I don't even know what the game is called, where you, like, name a person and you, like, try to get to Kevin. Oh, Bacon. the, like, six degrees know. of separation? Yes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> no, nope, nope. can't. <laughs> no, I can't even. If you put me on the spot right now and said name a famous person, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. And I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all right then. <laughs> well, there's plenty of famous science people and poets and stuff, so. Yeah, but I you mean. You come up with someone, culture, I'm sure. I, I, I didn't even, yeah. like, having missed out on the, my own, like the pop culture of my own childhood and youth. Yeah. You know, I'm could, watching friends right now for the first time. And that's like, well, that's going to be interesting to see my it. Age don't have. Yeah. Well, that's going to be an interesting thing to see. It's like everything now, like 10 years after the fact of like, just even it's so just, dated. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I can't believe how dated it is. Yeah. yeah there are certain things I'll start watching. Like even things that are only like, like four or five years old, that are still very dated. Like, I can't, like, we just, we keep moving forward so fast, I feel. But then, yeah, then some of these things are just locked in time. And we're like, oh, look, we used to have to, you know, use the phone book for things and like that right. kind of stuff. Or like you had to leave a message at their home phone because people didn't carry cell phones. Right. And like, it's wait actually, for them. I mean, so. that's actually something that, uh, that, we had quite a few conversations about when I was in grad school for Mm. creative writing is um, it's a lot more difficult to maintain the kind of tension you need in a story with cell phones. Sure. Because all, a lot of the like 
miscommunication or not knowing where somebody is or not being able to access information right away, a lot of that contributes to sure, tension yeah. and good storytelling. And so figuring out ways, like if you could just call the person, you know, like how do you disable that? Or like mm-hmm. does somebody cleverly have to lose their cell phone or is the information you're looking for not accessible on the internet? Right. I don't know. It's an interesting, it actually changes, it shapes the way that narrative works. And mm-hmm. that has been apparent to me watching Friends. There are quite a few episodes where like, um, listen to me talk about it like this. Like, have you have you seen that new show? Like, have you? I think it's on Netflix. It's called Friends. Oh, okay. I've okay, heard yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, I was watching an episode recently where they can't find somebody. It's Chandler before mm-hmm. Chandler and Monica get, get married. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> um, but they can't find him, mm-hmm. and it was interesting to think that that. Uh, narratively, that worked mm-hmm. great for that episode. It created a lot of tension. It moved characters around. And today, to be able to use that same construct in an episode, you would have Good. to create a scenario where somebody's cell phone had gone dead right. or they had intentionally left it at home. Um, and you wouldn't be able to call other people to update them or you'd right. have to incorporate them. You have to, like, interesting to run around them. and find them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. for a lot of, in a lot of ways, like, Society is relatively similar, but for for that narrative structure, to, that narrative structure doesn't actually work right in right. contemporary society anymore. That's true, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, that is, I, and it's one of those things, like you don't really think about it in a lot of movies now. But they, yeah, they don't have that like communication element isn't quite right. the same. <laughs> well, and I see that happen. I see that mm-hmm. happen in my students' writing too. Um, just the way that it informs the way that you see the world when you have instant access to Mm -hmm. answers to your questions and when you, um, like when you're always able to get in touch with Mm -hmm. somebody. So Mm -hmm. they don't have the experience of like, all right, we're going to meet at like 12 o'clock at the mall. (laughs) Like hopefully you show up and and are standing in front of that one store that we chose. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. We were talking the other day about, um, so, you know, there's like the, like Siri on the iPod or on iPhones and stuff and the Google's, is it a Lexus or whatever their like thing is called and how like you don't even have to like move from where you're sitting to find out information about something you just heard. So like if you're, you know, looking for the definition of a word that you just read, like you can just say, Hey, what is this? Versus like, do kids still look up words and dic- like actual like dictionaries do you use encyclopedias anymore like is that even a common thing because I remember having to like take classes and like this is how you do research never involved computers other than to write up your bibliography but it wasn't like researching stuff online and that's so much and there's so much there to then have to weed through what's accurate yeah, I mean, and I what's made up and what's that, yeah that split um, from what I have seen, students are still taught how to use dictionaries mm-hmm. and th- the sources and stuff. Um, but unfortunately, uh, your how much you are being able, how much you are being taught how to use the internet for research mm-hmm. depends on the amount of funding that your school uh, has. True. Um, yeah. So there can end up being a pretty significant split. Um, just thinking about ways that uh, the the small ways that lack of access to certain 
rights or privileges mm-hmm. has an unbelievable ripple effect on the rest oh, of their sure, life. Oh, sure, sure. So, like, I have a lot of students who get a chance, like, once or twice a week to work in a computer lab, mm-hmm. and then some other students who everybody has their own They iPad. have an iPad. Um, and, so, and so you can see, starting at a really early age how that prepares you differently sure. for, oh, sure. for a, a digital future. Yeah, so yeah. So I don't feel like I'm definitely not, like, anti-technology, and I don't know, like, since we have all these digital resources, mm-hmm. like, whether it is... I think it's an interesting debate, but I don't feel very strongly, you know, yeah. it's like everybody needs to learn how to, like, flip through. <laughs> you know, maybe not. Maybe it's a lot easier to figure out, I think, especially with... Um, with what's going on with fake news, learning mm-hmm. how to evaluate digital information. See, I think that's the bigger important. the bigger part is to figure out what part, especially things with like, well, like Wikipedia, for like anybody can go in and change an entry. And so it becomes like, well, is what part of this is true? What part of it is because someone decided they wanted to be funny? What part of it is kind of true, but you have to go and read this other story about it first. Right. Yeah. Which, and that Which, has always been true of print media too right right Um, it just hasn't been as readily accessible Mm -hmm. uh, so instantaneously right Um, right so yeah i yeah i don't know the thing i think the thing the one thing that i that i do miss and i sometimes sort of like set this rule at my house or like when we have dinner (laughs) parties is i miss the conversations that happen around wondering about something Mm. um that sort of like oh yeah like what is that orange part on a penguin's beak? Like, I think there's a word for that. What is it? And people uh-huh. being like, oh, yeah, maybe there is. You know, like that. Sure. Sometimes I'll be like, okay, no, like we're not for at least three minutes. Let's see. Because that sort of see, like we can get there. Mm-hmm. like getting your wheels to turn. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a mandible That's- sheath. That's the answer. <laughs> I'm so happy that you knew that. Yeah, it actually it actually is made out of the same thing as fingernails. Oh, um, really? And it, and it grows off. The penguin loses it each year. And Interesting. So they, they, the orange part. It's not on all penguins. Right, it's only but on, I think, well, emperor, emperor and penguins. penguins. <laughs> That's so funny. We used to have an exhibit here called, um, I think it was Penguin Play. We used to have it. And we had this big poster of, like, what the different kinds of penguins are and, like, where you can find them on the map. And, so, and we had these... Uh, oh yeah, I think there were only like three or four different species, quote unquote, that we had actually like a like puppet or mm-hmm. um, stuffed animal version. But the emperor one was my favorite because it was like the size of a child and <laughs> it was so heavy and big to carry around. But watching these kids carry these like giant penguins was one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> I love penguins. That sounds yeah. magical. If you bring that exhibit back, it was, oh. I'll probably just come around and be like, did you know? I don't know if there's plants here because a lot of that, we we like to recycle a lot of our things here. And so a lot of pieces that were part of that have become parts of other exhibits. Um, So I don't know if that's ever going to return, but it was pretty great while we had it. ecologically mindful. Right. Well, we try. (laughs) We try to do that. So, So outside of science and reading... And watching Friends on Netflix. What other? <laughs> what catching other? Up other catching up on the nineties. Yeah. What uh, What kind of stuff do you do for fun as an like? How do you play as an adult? Yeah, I mm-hmm. um, I'm a very avid gardener. Okay. Uh, so uh, 
I'm like up to my ears most of the summer in the things coming out of my garden. <laughs> and because I'm an avid gardener, I'm also a master canner and preserver. Um, I took the, the master certification uh-huh. course. So I love to jam and can and make all sorts of goodies. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have a favorite love- jam? That's like a favorite author. I know. That's the impossible question. <laughs> uh, I make a rhubarb orange marmalade that I really love because it's like sour and bitter and also sweet. Uh I don't know that it would be like a widely popular (laughs) but it's pretty tasty. Um, It sounds great. Yeah, and I love to cook and bake Mm -hmm. and just be outside in general. But Mm -hmm. like so many of those things too, like canning Canning and baking are like another area where there's so much room for invention and creativity. Oh, sure. And at their heart, they are laboratory mm-hmm. experiments. Yep. Um, so I always geek out like when, I, <laughs> when I'm canning, I like I'll make up, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever flavor I'm going to make. But then the precision that you have to use for the process. Right. It's just, yeah, it's super. There's, there's a lot of math and science that goes into mm-hmm. making anything, really, but like cooking and baking especially. And it is one of those, like, that's a secret way you can get math into <laughs> kids, especially if you just have them in the kitchen with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's not even really, like, it's not secret. It's, it's not, not that secret. secret. It's just like unmasking. We talk, a, at the CYC, I talk a lot about this with writing, too, how it's less about, like, sneakily... Right, you know, like teaching it, and more about like revealing. Sure, so many there you go. Things That's a better way. Like the secret spines of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like TV, we experience it as this visual thing, mm-hmm. um, but its spine is writing. Uh, sure, know, and sure. Like artistic mm-hmm. production, or you know, baking. We're eating it, and it, we experience it as this treat. But at its at its spine, like its mm-hmm. very core. It's a scientific it's a scientific process, process yep. of proportions mm-hmm. and of mm-hmm. like altering things through combinations yep. and temperature and time. Um, so I think that that I yeah I wish that like and you know I don't know that's probably I think that there are some um, approaches that think more like that, but that that like you know that so much of learning mm-hmm. is just thinking about the ways that things. Right. So right. Many different elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So my my dad is a math teacher, and I know that um, one of his this was like a number of years ago. So I don't remember which math class exactly he was in because he's taught a little bit of everything over the years. But I know that um, I want to say it was in one of his algebra classes. But like one of their uh, assignments was to go to the grocery store and like having to use formulas to figure out the prices of like, mm-hmm. you know, the price per egg or per ounce in these different things and like showing that <clears throat> even though algebra doesn't always sound like it's something that you're using all the time, but it is something you're using all the time. Mm-hmm. You just don't name it the same thing. Right. So kind of the same, like finding ways to incorporate it into the things that you are already doing right. <laughs> and how it's, it's yeah, at the core there's, it's math. There it is. So Yeah. Um, what kind of things do you grow in your garden? Obviously, rhubarb sounds like it's and make, yes, makes well, its I'm way really in there. Because we, when we moved to Grand Rapids, um, we were fortunate enough to be able to buy a house that has a yard. And it's the first time as an adult I've ever lived in a place with a yard. So mm-hmm. We did community gardening for a while, which was fantastic and is an awesome model. But our garden was about three miles away from our house. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just made it 
you know, the time when you're like in the middle of making something and you think, oh, this would be really good with a little oh, bit of sure. basil. It's like, do I when have When your garden's three miles like, away from your house. Yeah, you, you can't, can't just, just run out and grab right. it. <laughs> um, and so, so, so that, but also um, I was able to plant perennials, which mm-hmm. you aren't usually, sometimes you are, but you aren't usually allowed to do in community gardens. So I sure. have rhubarb and strawberries and asparagus. Um, and those are, those are perennials. I planted them a year ago, so I didn't get, I didn't get to harvest any the first year. This year I'll get to harvest a little this bit. Year you will. And next mm-hmm. year, hopefully they'll be in like full copious yeah. production. Uh, but oh my goodness, tomatoes, zucchini, all different kinds of so. herbs, eggplant, um, kale, our kale. <laughs> We never cut it back because it kept producing for so mm-hmm. long, mm-hmm. and now it just looks like this weird, like Jurassic <laughs> jungle forest in our back. Because all covered in snow, but it's also like weird like and dinosaur looking. That's so fun. It's pretty cool. Um, and beans and radishes and carrots and beets. I, we grow a lot for in raised yeah. beds for having a, kind of a limited amount of space. I say it sounds like it's a big garden for. Yeah. Like, we grew some spicy peppers so. that were too hot that we couldn't even eat them. So, we won't this again. <laughs> so not doing that again. Yeah. Every now and then I'm, I'm like, oh, I could grow this and I'm going to grow this. And I'm like, I don't have a, like this where the house that we're at has kind of a weird backyard and it either gets only sun in like certain parts of the yard or it's so incredibly shady that like we have this one tree kind of in our back corner and it's all mossy underneath it pretty much the entire year because it never dries out because the sun never really touches it. And so it's this weird, like, I don't even know it would grow back here. And I, or I need it to be something that I could like move around the yard or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, And that just seems like a lot of work. So, <laughs> but someday, yeah, I'd also like to have the ability to grow things in my yard. I just, yeah, there's something about being able to just like get your hands in the dirt. That just is a very calming thing for me. Like, I just want to be able to touch the ground. That's, that's my, like, I don't know, resetting myself almost kind of thing. And so, yeah. I've raised bed gardening is awesome because it doesn't require as much work. Yeah. Um, There's not as much weeding and you can really, we Mm -hmm. compost every, well, we compost everything from our kitchen. And so we're able to replenish. Sure. Between our compost and the leaves from our yard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also... Mm -hmm. Like once you get it going, just enables a level of laziness in the summer that's delightful <laughs> because as long as you have like as long as you have olive oil and pasta, you can, you can make, just anything. make anything all summer long without having to go to the grocery store. See, that or sounds pretty great too. Like at the time of the farmers market and right, town. right. Yeah. <laughs> that does sound pretty fantastic. <laughs> So something that I always ask people are if if there's any particular either book or poet or a documentary or anything like that that you really think like oh, this is this is really great everyone should check this out. Yeah, I actually have a sticky note because oh, this is the situation like I was saying how I can't remember things this is the, like I panic and I won't come up with so yes one I already mentioned which was Cadaver Speak mm-hmm. by Marianne Baruch. It's a great book of poetry. Um I think especially if there if people don't read a lot of contemporary poetry mm-hmm. and also enjoy science. I mean it's just spectacular. <laughs> and she's really accessible um and absolutely brilliant. 
Um, another book of poetry I really love is called Incarnadine, or Incarnadine. I can't remember how she pronounces it, by Mary Shebist. Um, and it is, it, she spent 10 years writing the book. Um, and it is really, really beautiful. And there are some really interesting examples in there of poems that come from different forms or prompts that you sometimes don't see published in contemporary poetry. So Mm -hmm. some poems that are in a shape or an abecedarian, which is a poem where the first line is the letter and then the next letter of the alphabet. And it's really hard to do something like that in a way that isn't gimmicky. Mm -hmm. And she manages it. And the book is really, it's really beautiful. Um, She has, yeah, it's just beautiful. They're, there are a lot of personal poems. There are also a lot of science poems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that <laughs> book I absolutely love. And then, like, non-sequitur book, kind of. Um, <laughs> I recently read a book called Mindfulness for Teachers by Patricia Jennings. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about, like, um, in my work at the CYC, my training is... Um, I taught ESL and and I also taught creative writing, but at the undergraduate level. Mm. Um, and so I've I have maybe a little bit less training for the elementary and middle school classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I practice mindfulness and have practiced yoga for a long time. And this book, I think, for anybody, even people who haven't practiced any of those things, gives some really awesome tips for how to. Um, how to maintain, not just maintain the classroom, but how to take care of yourself and recognize Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're starting to feel frustrated or overwhelmed so that you can choose to act toward a student with compassion instead of like, oh, you're not listening to me. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I just think, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great for teachers and it's great Mm -hmm. for... Like everything going on right now, I think it just has a lot of really good tips about sure. like recentering and making sure that you have enough space to like do the good work because <laughs> you on the inside have like the energy mm-hmm. to keep going. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh well, great. Well, and we'll put um, links to those um, all those on the page when we get the page ready, so people can easily find all of your suggestions. Cool. Thanks. Cool. And now I have a, a kind of a silly question, but we okay. take it very seriously here. We are all about silliness right. at CYC, too. I'm so ready. We ask this of everybody, pretty mm-hmm. much. In a battle royale between a Pegasus and Unicorn, who emerges victoriously and why? Pegasus. <laughs> There's not even a thought. You're like, Pegasus. Definitely excellent. Pegasus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because... <laughs> I don't know why. I felt really strongly that it was going to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Pegasus. I feel sure. like Pegasus because it is a combination. I mean, I know a unicorn is also a combination of like a real and mythical thing, but I feel sure. like the the double whammy of being a horse that can fly mm-hmm. gives you a one-up. And I also feel like the unicorn just has like a lot more ties to like dominant masculine energy and so I'm just gonna go <laughs> oh, okay. with Pegasus. I like that answer. That's I also <laughs> got schooled by a seven year old uh, a couple weeks ago uh, before. I'm not sure I would have been able to answer this question because I don't know if I knew the difference between a Pegasus and a unicorn. Okay. She had done a drawing and I was like oh 
cool unicorn. And she goes, Miss Brienne, and like, no. this is a Pegasus. And like went through the whole. Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. Taxonomy of yeah. what makes what what. what? So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So maybe that, that'll be our, our definitive answer is finding her and say, okay, explain to <laughs> right. us yes. what's actually the difference between and these two. And how do you and, know? Yeah. Well, that's what I, when, when I had to answer the question, I'm like, I took a ton of Greek and Roman mythology courses, so I know the origin story of Pegasus more than I know an origin story of unicorns. Huh. So that's what for me, I'm like, unicorns are magical, but Pegasus is like godly They're and strong, strong yeah. and is a symbol of strength and wisdom in a lot of cultures. And like, that's, yep, so that's my, <laughs> that's, so I'm also the very strong like Pegasus. I mean, if we <laughs> took it to the ocean, though, I would probably would vote for mm. Narwhal because they're real. <laughs> that is true. And they look like unicorns <laughs> of the sea. <laughs> that is true. There's actually one of our staff members who, like, every now and then just says, how do narwhals exist? The tooth grows up, and I don't understand. <laughs> like, but just out of nowhere, just starts talking, like, the, the wonderment of narwhals. <laughs> yes. And everything yes. in the ocean. Yes. That, more science. More everything. Scientific yes. For, yes. For anyone, really. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, as we kind of wrap up here, anything coming up at this UIC that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. on March 18th, we're partnering with LaFest, um, and our students write character sketches, and then a group of improv comedians it just sounds pretends so great. to be those character, characters while doing improv comedy. It's free. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. It's great for adults and kids alike. Um it's really super fun. It's at Dog Story Theater at 12.30 and 2.30. Um, and then on, whew, it seems far away, but it's not going to be. On <laughs> Wednesday, May 31st is when our book launch for the Book of Explosions okay. 6 is going to be. That's so exciting. Yeah. So, that's so cool that they get. So how many um, how many different entries are in the book that you do when you do the book launch every that's year? A or does question. it change every year? It changes okay. uh, d- depending on enrollment. Okay. Um, this year, our students have just been writing like really spectacular stuff. So we decided that each student could choose three pieces to publish. And we have about 50 students. Um, so it'll be 50 different students each publishing okay. three different pieces. That's so great. Um, and then interspersed within that, uh, a couple of the groups worked collaboratively on writing a choose-your-own-adventure story <laughs> that ends up on the planets made of cookies and is oh my really gosh. deeply weird in a beautiful <laughs> way. And so hopefully, if it doesn't become too complicated in terms of pagination we're hoping oh, to have sure. like a really weird choose your own adventure story just like happening like in the middle of all of it yeah <laughs> yeah that's so great so one of the favorite my favorite books i think i've ever read is actually the neil patrick harris choose oh, your, yeah. biography which yeah. is a choose your own adventure and it is written in such a like kind of the same thing it's kind of like i don't know how to read this and also like I know I'm reading parts of this that are true and parts that are absolutely made up, but it's great and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, when I was trying to figure out how to teach them how to write Choose Your Own Adventure mm-hmm. stories, I, of course, had to like read some of them and then go backward and figure out how this how they worked. Sure. Um, and it seems like really straightforward at first, but then when you think about, especially if you're getting into a longer story, the way that you have to maintain 
narrative continuity without repeating, but right. that enables sort of like cyclical loopbacks. It's actually it's, it's actually, actually really complicated. Difficult, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure ours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced it maintains <laughs> narrative continuity, but it definitely contains maintains continuity of like theme and audience. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> well, very exciting. Definitely something for us all to look forward to. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for coming in yeah, and, for and chatting with me. me.